This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Hadas Kuznets with Amira Abdul-Wakil. She has a seminar called Baking with Science. It takes place on Saturday, February 2nd from 11 to 3 at the uh, Center for Culinary Enterprises, 310 South 48th Street. She has a very interesting story. First of all, let's start with the basics here. Tell me about the class. Okay, the bread baking class came from a need to teach children and adults how to go back to the basics and really learn the science of baking bread. Baking bread has always been like, oh, this is a daunting thing. It's going to take all year. It takes 10, 12 hours, which it does. But you're not interacting with it more than 20, 30 minutes. You basically are taking good flour, water, salt, and yeast, beating it up, literally, and coming out with this gorgeous product. So before we go any further, I do have to say that you are a science teacher. Yes. So did your love for baking bread come from your love of science? I think they developed together. As long as I've been alive, I can say, I've watched my grandmother, my mother, my aunts cook. And I was one of those kids that once you start me on something, I've got to learn everything about it. So the first time I baked bread, I wanted to know, okay, what is this stuff called yeast? What is it? What is flour? What happens if I use a different kind of flour? Can I use a different kind of flour? Will it make it better or chewier or crisper or what? So I would go full out. The way you're asking questions, that is like a scientist. Right. But science is everything. All through my life, I've learned that science is everything. If you know the science of it, you can change it. Because as long as you keep the ratios, math, and the chemical reactions, science. Chemistry. Right. Coming together, you get the same kind of reactions. You can change just about any recipe. So what do we need to know? What's the most important thing scientifically that we need to know about baking bread? The ratio. You can basically use any flour. You can use any salt, water. The ratio has to be exact. So if you want to make one loaf, the ratio is five, three, and then salt and yeast. And the salt and yeast ratios are so small that it would make it more complicated. But it's like... A pinch and a pinch? Right. (laughs) Okay. A pinch and a pinch, and you use less yeast if you're going to let it sit. You don't need as much yeast. People use a lot of yeast because they want it to rise fast because everybody's in a hurry. But our grandmothers didn't do that. Does it taste better if you use less yeast? It tastes better if you use less yeast and let it rise longer. I mean, there are some bread doughs that you put in the refrigerator to rise, and 18, 24 hours later— you have a better tasting bread. Sourdough is the classic definition of that. Sourdoughs have lasted thousands and hundreds of years. 
And all that is is a piece of bread dough that you save from the last one to continue. Or you start a starter with flour and water and you just keep feeding it. You take some out, you make your bread for the day, and you add some more flour and water, and you keep it going. All right, so what is yeast? So what you're talking about here is yeast. Yes, yeast is a fungus that is all around us. It's in the air, it's on our skin, it's everywhere. And like all fungi, they love sugar. So when you're mixing that flour and water to start your starter or your sourdough starter, you're actually allowing the water to break down that flour into sugars. Starches change to sugars as they break down. Well, the yeast in the air is like, wow, there's some sugar. Let me go eat this sugar. So you're attracting that yeast into the container, and it starts to multiply and grow, and it'll start to bubble because that as they eat, just like us, they belch, and that's the little bubbles. So when you see bread that has really big bubbles, that's a lot of yeast. A lot of belching. Fine bubbles, a lot of yeast, little belches. And because it's alive, if you don't feed it, it will start to die down. So how do you keep how it do, alive? How do you keep it going? How do you keep it going? You add flour and water every day if it's a counter sitter. Like some people make bread every day or every two days. So they have a sourdough or a starter sitting on their counter. And people like me who makes bread twice a day, twice a week, I keep my starter in the refrigerator which slows down the growth because the lower temperature slows down the growth. And so I feed mine every week. When I make bread, I feed it. So there's some unleavened breads, but they're crisper. And, you know, there are other leavenings. So when we're using making like quick breads, we're using baking soda or baking powder. They are still making those little bubbles. You look at your bread, you see little bubbles. Even matzah has bubbles, bubbles in it. In, yeah, right. That's true. That's true. Little bubbles. So you want that leavening. That leavening is those little bubbles. And sometimes you create it just by the heat. The heat expands the air in between. So you've got layering going on. So when you look at a loaf of bread, what can you tell about that bread from what you know about science? What you can tell about that bread, the different loaves will tell you what kind of flour, and that's based on moisture, how much yeast. If there's a whole lot of big bubbles, you know there was a lot of yeast in that bread. If there's a whole lot of little bubbles, you know that the yeast, it didn't rise a lot or it rose very quickly. There was something that made the yeast multiply quickly. If it's not a lot of bubbles, it depends on the size of them. Look at it this way. How is this gas? Because that's what is creating gas. How is this gas expanding? Is it expanding like big or is it eh, teetering? And it's, you know, the same thing with baking soda and baking powder. The amount of acid also tells you acid causes more gas when it mixes with certain substances. So a lot of lactic acid will cause bubbles. When you have lactic acid in bread where you add like milk and eggs, proteins, then you have this softer, squishier kind of bread. I think challah. Challah. Yes, exactly. You think challah because challah is doughy, cakey sometimes. Right. How do you get the good cakey kind? Like not a lot of bubbles in that. No, but your leavening is being enhanced with eggs, fat to lubricate those egg molecules or those protein molecules. The lightness is coming from the eggs. The hmm. cakiness is coming from the A's, the tenderness. 
So in your class, Baking with Science on Saturday, February 2nd, you're teaching adults specifically. Yes. Now, are you bringing science into it? Yes. I want to teach them the ratio. And we're going to make two kinds of bread. The most popular bread now is that no need. I understand the need for that because if you're a really busy person, you want to be able to just mix it up, set it aside, and come back. So the first thing we're going to do is before we even talk about bread, we're going to mix that one up and set it aside because it still is going to need three to four hours of rising and our class is four hours long. So if we start it immediately, three hours, we can come back to it and get it in the oven. Then we're going to talk about bread and yeast and water and the ratio and how we use that ratio to make other than just a plain loaf. So one of the things I'd like to introduce to people is different kinds of flour. So we're going to have a hard wheat, a bolted wheat, and spelt flour. Spelt flour is the new popular flour that has less gluten than wheat. It is an ancient grain like quinoa and farro and acorn. But it is like, as we say in uh, evolutionary science, it is has a common ancestor with wheat. It is not gluten-free, but it's less gluten and more nutrition. There's more potassium in spelt flour. What is gluten? Gluten is a structure, a stringy structure that comes together with the kneading and movement of bread. So gluten develops to give bread structure. It's those proteins that come together and say, okay, we're going to rise. We're going to have this strong sides and we're going to have this structure. So gluten gives bread structure. That's why a lot of gluten-free breads are flatter. They don't rise as much because they don't have the structure. Like a little bun? Right. Gluten-free is the flour. The flour... Rice doesn't have gluten in it. People use rice flour to uh, make gluten-free bread. Um, Brown rice flour, white rice flour. I'm not a big gluten-free person. (laughs) I know. Because the best bread is not gluten-free, right? right. You want want good bread. Sorry. Sorry, gluten-free people. And I understand people with celiac disease can't have gluten, but gluten does give bread structure. That's the main purpose of it. So when you're building up the gluten by kneading it, you're lining up that structure, those proteins in the bread. What's the key to like the best bread you've ever had? I do love a good crispy crust, tender middle, sourdough bread that's not too sour with a good manchego cheese. Let's eat it. Yes. <laughs> so the good thing about and one of the reasons why I wanted to make the no knee bread, because it has a lot of moisture in it, it comes out with the crispiest crust. So you just want to break off the crust, and then you have all this tender bread in the middle. Oh, I'm thinking of like an Italian or a right. French bread that you like right. break the baguette. Right, exactly. Okay, so that, that doesn't have a lot of water in it. No, but the no-knead doughs do. So oh, that's what different. you end up with is a very moist inside. Which, if you are a busy person and you don't eat a lot of bread every day, you end up with a bread that's going to last you a few days because it's going to stay really moist. Oh. It's not going to be crumbly as quickly as the others. So you started teaching for adults after you taught a lot of kids, right? Right. You did classes for kids, and then you said, I got to teach their parents. Right. Their parents were like, wow. The kids were doing amazing things. The Baking with Science started out for kids, 8 to 18. And I did one last summer, 
and the kids, the bread had great bake on it. It was nice and golden on the outside, nice and moist on the inside. What I would do for them is teach them about the ingredients they were about to use. Show them the structure of proteins and the structure of sugars and salts and starches and how they go together chemically. And then I would give them a basic recipe and give them all the additives I could think of. And then they just kind of did it themselves. And then they did it themselves. So they They, came out with different kinds of breads? Nobody did the same thing. Nobody had the same product. Because you had your basic recipe and you had all these additives. And the kids, you know, if I had five types of chocolate today, some would use black chocolate, some would use a rouge chocolate. So if they were all making a chocolate cookie, none of the cookies would look the same. None of the cookies would say taste the same. When we did bread, they some made pizza. Some made cinnamon rolls. Some put like strawberry powder in there. And so when the parents came, they were like, oh, I never knew my eight-year-old could make this. It was a creative, scientific, you know the ratios. You know what you have to do. You know how you have to manipulate it so that everything is within ratio. Go have at it. Have at it. The other thing about my classes with children is They came with a kit. So everything they used in class was theirs to keep. And then the parents wanted in on it. The parents wanted in. They were like, wow, that was really good cake she made last week. When are you going to teach an adult class? Oh, that bread. They made bread. They made bread. And it was really good. When are you going to teach us? So where can folks get more information about your classes? You're teaching a Saturday, February 2nd class. Are you teaching more? Do you have a website? I have a website. It's amirasdelights.com, and that's delights, D-E-L-I-T-E-S. So no G and no H. And you can go and click on 2019 events, and you will see the events I have scheduled so far. Amira's Delights is your business. That is my business. Amira's Delights does traditional and vegan pastries and cakes and cookies. So we have a full line of vegan desserts as well as traditional desserts. So you're a science teacher and a baker. Yes. Which really does go hand in hand. Definitely, because baking is chemistry. What's your favorite thing to bake? Bread. What's your favorite type of bread? Oh, you just said sourdough, you were saying Yes, but I do love challah on Sunday morning and French toast. Yes, yeah. That's good. It was one of the first breads I learned how to make and make well. What's the most difficult thing to teach adults? I think adults come with preconceived notions. Kids are in the mood that they are in school already and they want to learn this. Adults, well, my mama didn't make it that way. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Or don't you have to do this? Instead of just embracing that, there are other ways to do it. And who's more, I'm I'm answering my own question, kids are more creative? Yeah, because they have nothing to stop them. You know, their taste buds are developing. And I almost wish that they would make a mistake. Well, isn't that what um, creativity is? It is right. Mistakes, colors, shapes, the way they put the bread together, whatever they add into it. Amazing. What are people going to get out of your class? This is for adults now. They're going to learn the ease of baking bread, the therapeutic 
side of baking bread because, you know, when I've had a hard day, that kneading, naming my bread, you know, supervisor that got on your nerves, bam. (laughs) And then you come out with this beautiful product. So bread is therapeutic. We're going to get some of the kneading in. And I want them to know, and one of the reasons why we don't use mixers in any of my classes is you can use a mixer and we'll talk about how to transfer it to a mixer, but the mixer doesn't give you the feeling. And if your mixer breaks, I don't want you to stop. I want you to know what the bread is supposed to look like because there is something that's called overneeding it. You build up all this great gluten structure and then you break it down by overneeding it or overrising it. But to get the feel of what the dough is really supposed to feel like in your hands, I think that's a lot of what we've been missing in this new society of technological development. We need to feel. And I think that's one of the things we get to step away from the cell phones and the cameras and the TVs and go back to touching the food that you eat, eating whole food. All the flour that I'm getting is coming from Castle Valley Mill. And Castle Valley Mill grinds fresh flour every day. I know that my flour is not going to be milled until Monday morning. So it makes a difference, obviously. Yes. You get that fresh ingredients as, as opposed to going to the grocery store. Right. And people must comment on that. Yeah. It is a different taste. Even introducing the kids to like spelt flour, showing them the actual seeds and the grain before it's milled, and then having them feel the flour and actually working with it and coming out with it really good product. Kids don't get that kind of self-esteem. Our schools, and I say that as a teacher, don't allow them to really get their hands on and into science. They want them all to sit at a desk, read a book, watch a film, fill out the answers. When I was in school, we did chemistry. We had labs. We did physics. The labs are not like they were. We, middle school, dissect that frog. Feel that frog. They don't do that anymore? I, no. So when kids come to my class, they're like, one kid said, it's a real lesson. I really learned something here because even my mistakes are good. Yeah. And the parents, the teach, the adults that you're teaching, they also, they're getting their hands in there. Right. They're getting their hands in there. And some of them haven't done it since school. So they get their hands in. They get to feel it. They get to come out with a positive product in this society where we've got a whole lot of negativity going on. I'm picturing you up there in class with like a chalkboard and the molecules and this is the yeast. And and then you like with like a little table with like this is what the wheat looks like before it's milled. And then this is the flour. And I pass it around. Test it. Touch it. it, Feel it. it, You know, so you know. And the most amazing thing is, you know, when you turn that bread out onto a piece of parchment or a or bored, it is really a glob of mess. But as you knead it, it just all comes together. It's almost a lesson in problem solving. You just have to be consistent and continue doing what you're doing until it all comes together into something beautiful. What has bread baking taught you about life? It is always going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Even if you make a mistake? Even if you make a mistake. Even if you don't get the ratios right? Even if you don't get the ratios right, it's going to be all right. How do you learn that from bread? Because it always turns out to something 
Okay, it may be that it doesn't rise as much as you want, but it still tastes good. All right, Life Lessons with Amira Abdul-Wakil. Her class is called Baking with Science. You can learn about science and life on Saturday, February 2nd from 11 to 3 at the Center for Culinary Enterprises, which is part of the Enterprise Center, 310 South 48th Street. Do folks need to sign up ahead of time? I would like folks to sign up ahead of time so I can make sure I have enough for the people. I try not to overbuy. My company is relatively young. I just started in 2016. So Amira's Delights. delights, Right. Like the group, Delights. (laughs) Delights. Amira'sDelights.com. Now, will you take people that show up at the door? If I still have space, yes, I will. I always have a few extra spaces just in case because that has happened to me. Are there any other ways to contact you? Um, you can catch me at amirasdelights at gmail.com. I'm also going to be working with a company called The Ordinary Company, part of St. Mark's Church. They are doing uh, bed, bread baking classes also. So you can catch me there at St. Mark's philadelphia.org and i'm working with another community group at the church of compassion they're having workshops on illnesses hypertension diabetes food related illnesses so i'll be working with them talking about how food can help you maintain a good health that's another podcast right there (laughs) (laughs) food food is i've heard people say you know Food, food is medicine. medicine. Yep, yes, you know food it. Food is medicine. Amira, thank you so much. You're welcome. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.